1: We react to more mass shootings, and then yesterday was the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. We discuss. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Monday, friends, and welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. On kind of a sunny, beautiful Monday afternoon. Beautiful for January.
2: Beautiful for January. This morning was freezing and frigid. And let's not forget it was snowing most of the day yesterday. So it is nice to see the sun out right now. Let's celebrate that even though it is still January Isn't in Chicago. Isn't it interesting
1: that really, knock on wood, knock on whatever you want to knock on. We've not had any <laughs> substantial snow yet this year. It is kind of
2: wild that we haven't. It. Surely it's coming. I keep telling myself at some point it's going to hit. I don't right? know.
1: I told my kids once. This is going to be inappropriate, I shouldn't even say this, but hey, who's listening? You're
2: live on radio. I
1: told my kids once, hey, mom and dad are getting the good parts of global warming, you guys are going to have to put up with the effects. (laughs) <laughs> not fair. I don't believe that. But maybe
2: it, it's, it's just a, a little funny wonder, joke. It's man, a we're funny joke. It's rain
1: now in January, not the
2: snow. Yeah, but maybe you're like right. you said, I'm maybe sure it's right. coming
1: down the road here. Well, we're glad that you're with us, Aubrey, later on in the show. I'm going to share about just my relaxing weekend. I and heard I want you to, had
2: a good one. I can't wait to talk about I did.
1: About that I so did. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, here's what we want to ask of you today uh, we would love for you to interact with us. We would like some callers 312 660. Two five nine four. That's three one two six six zero two five nine four. Specifically, uh, later on in the show, we're going to ask this question: What is your key? What do you believe is the key to the good life? What do you believe is the key to having a good life? And does that change? Has that changed for you as you've gotten older? Aubrey and I are going to talk about that right around four thirty. So we would love to have you ready to go and with us again. That's three one two six six zero two five nine four. You can always interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Aubrey, it was a great weekend, lots of fun, and our families and other things. But then you turn on the news, and I I do feel like every time these happen, I'm like, okay, we need to talk about these and sit in them. We're not going to have the answers to them. But that there are a lot of people in the church and outside the church going you know, what do we do with evil? Yeah. Where is God? So just a couple uh, different mass shootings this week, Aubrey. Over the weekend, I believe, at Monterey Park Dance Hall shooting, uh, it was uh, kind of the an Asian-American celebration to the Lunar New Year, yeah, I believe Lunar I'm getting New that right. Year, yep. The death toll has now risen to 11. Uh, and then also they finally found the 72-year-old man who committed these mm-hmm. this atrocity, killed himself. Uh, there are still another 10 or 11 people who are injured. So just horrific. Uh, today, two students were killed in a shooting at a Des Moines, Iowa charter school. Yeah. Uh, that was just before we just heard about that soon before we came onto the air today. Uh, and then there was another one right in our own backyard in the city of Chicago um, where where there was another shooting. Yeah, two
2: people killed, three wounded mass shooting on the South Shore just this afternoon. So it's just Devastating news story.
1: And so we just keep having these. And uh, I don't want to turn this into a gun debate. I don't want to turn this into which politician is is most responsible for these things. What do, Those are all conversations that can have, Aubrey. But I do think when we see things like this, mass shootings over and over and over again, it does cause people to ask the question, where is God?
2: Absolutely.
1: And, uh, you know, we at this at the Common Good, we want to wrestle with those difficult yeah. questions. I guess I would start by saying just because we're pastors doesn't mean we don't approach tragedies and go, gosh, God, where are you at on this one? What are, one? You, doing? What are yeah. you doing? But but people do look to us in our churches for mm-hmm. some answers, some leadership. Mm-hmm. So in the midst of this type of tragedy, and then there's going to be another one next week and another one that might not be a yeah. shooting, but it might be an accident. It might be yeah. whatever. Tragedies happen. Mm. So, how do we wrestle with them, and even eventually get to the question of where's God in all this?
2: I think the the point is to wrestle with them, Mm. meaning you know we look at we look at Jesus Himself dying on the cross, and He's asked God, "Why have you forsaken me?" We know that Jesus was quoting Scripture there, but. The fact that Jesus himself wrestled in a moment of suffering mm. and and tragedy and asked God that question. God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? So I, I think I would begin there that it is perfectly acceptable, in fact, good to cry out to God in this type of evil and go, God, where are you? What mm. are you doing? And just remember, that's not being unfaithful. I think that's I mean, it's being just like Jesus. Yeah. And it's being very real. At the end of the day, I know that God would rather us come to him with that type of question than than grow numb or walk Mm -hmm. away in apathy. And it does feel like these, especially when we read about these mass shootings, this type of violence again and again and again, it can be easy to grow numb. Um, I mean, Chicago, that's in our own backyard. Yeah. Like, uh, the the shooting at the Lunar New Year celebration, like, these are Asian American brothers and sisters. It can be easy to forget that these are real humans. It can be easy to grow numb and, um, in, a, in a sense, desensitized. And when we do that, we sort of dehumanize the victims. And we don't mean to. Some of that's just, like, you hear it again and again and again, how much more you can take, how much more can you take? So I think... Part of the work in asking the question is also just to like be intentional to bear witness to mm-hmm. people who are suffering, to not let yourself grow numb. Um, that said, where is God ultimately yeah. is yeah. the question, and you know I think ultimately it's sort of the wrong question to ask because it assumes that God is not there, it mm. assumes that God is distant or God is deistic or that God is somehow this puppet master pulling strings for his own you know sort of cosmic entertainment but what we're told about the christian god is that he draws near to the brokenhearted. he is with those who are crushed in spirit he is not far removed from those who are hurting he's emmanuel with us and so i think uh you know i don't know how to rephrase the question except just to say like god we believe that you're there can you show us that you're there and then and then turn the question ourselves okay if God's there, then where are God's people? And how can we show up in situations of tragedy to bring light and hope and compassion mm. and presence to those who are so desperately hurting?
1: Uh, I love how you started that because I do think uh, somewhere along the way, a lot of us Christians get to the point where we go, it's sinful mm. to question God. Yeah, It's sinful to struggle with these kind of questions. So mm. therefore... It doesn't mean then we have the answers. Instead, we fake like we have the answers or we pretend totally. Totally. that we can explain it away totally. while internally going, yeah. gosh, God, what and this is true for mass shootings. Mm-hmm. It's also true when bad things happen in my life. Yes. In fact, it's probably more true yeah. because we are, you know, we, in the end, it's always going to hit deeper for things that are right there in mm-hmm. your own soul. And, and I think that, that as the church, we have to be really... Willing and careful to acknowledge
2: evil, we do. We absolutely do. I I spoke at a, to a group of women on Friday night on lament, and I I did say this. Like I think it is, I think it is inauthentic of us to pretend like evil is not a big deal and something we don't struggle with. And you know what else? I think it. Does? I okay. I want to say this carefully. I don't think anything can actually minimize the cross. But I think in our communication of the cross, it can minimize Jesus's own suffering and Jesus's own victory. When we act like what Jesus overcame was not a big deal Mm. to say evil is evil. This violence in these mass shootings are wrong and horrific and atrocious. They're from the pit of hell. And simultaneously, we believe that Jesus victory on the cross means that he has overcome and will overcome this evil. That makes the cross even bigger. That makes Jesus's um his death and his resurrection even more meaningful and more purposeful and so i do think especially for christians we have to be people who can call evil like it is Mm. and not try to domesticate it or minimize it god never did that but just remember like we know the one who went toe to toe with the darkness and in that battle he is our victor and so somehow we have to be able to like we have to be able to hold both without trying to wrap up pain in a pretty little package for people. Because it's just not fair and it's not it's not okay.
1: Yeah, if you're struggling out there with just tragic loss in your life or struggling with the pain and the evil of this world, uh, we would acknowledge to you, life is hard. Yeah. Like, this evil still exists. We still live in a broken world. Yes. But Jesus is victorious. Mm-hmm. He's present mm-hmm. right now. He is victorious. And we live in this already-not-yet time, but there is coming a day where none of this—guess what, Aubrey? There's coming a day where we're not going to be like, oh, another school shooting. Right, it's not going right, to be there. Right. There's coming a day, and and there's so much in the Christian life for us to be able to rehearse there's coming a day. Yeah. There's coming a day. And that doesn't minimize pain. Uh, that's what the church has gotten wrong for so many years. We minimize pain. Mm-hmm. Can't do that. Mm-hmm. Pain is present. Evil is present. Jesus is victorious, and that full victory will be realized uh, there is coming a day. Yeah. So we can't get so numb to these types of stories where it doesn't bring up those questions right, for us right. and that wrestling and uh, go to God in prayer on yeah. those and ask him, where, where are you at on this right, one? Right. <laughs> like, what
2: are you doing, God? Like, and and show me what you want me to right. do in response to it.
1: That's absolutely right. Well, starting on a deep, uh, kind of a heavy mm-hmm. tone, but that's what it requires when we see these tragedies around us. So we got a call uh, from a, a listener named Nin, Nin Coleman, who wanted to weigh in on this. Nin, how you doing today?
3: I'm doing pretty good. And yourselves? Doing real doing well, great. my friend. Thank you.
1: Give us your thoughts. What do you think about that?
3: Well, I was looking to the question about where's God in all of this, and, and I would, my first thing that came to thought is, will we be saying that, making that statement in the last days when uh, those that are judged go to to the lake of fire and the rest go to heaven, Mm. um, wouldn't be asking that question. I, you know, I, I think we would would believe that God is the same place like now where where he'll be at that time too. I think the bigger question is, what are we doing Mm. as a society or not doing that leads to that kind of behavior or action out of people? Mm-hmm. I think that's, the that's a great
2: question. question.
3: I, mean, I, I mean, I feel sorry for the people that have lost loved ones mm-hmm. in that. Uh, but as we all know, particularly in the Chicagoland area, this happens. You know, it may not happen as many at one time, but when right. you look at it collectively, it's still the 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 number of lives are huge.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, right. Are. that's right. That's yeah. right. And then, thanks for calling. We really appreciate the feedback. And Aubrey, he's right.
3: It's a great perspective. Uh, it is.
1: What are we doing as people? To make sure this stuff doesn't happen.
2: Yeah, and as a society, how are we contributing or changing these things? Because you could throw
1: yeah, you could throw up your hands and just go. uh, You could throw up your hands and just go. You know, it's evil around us, and it is, it is. But what are we doing uh, in order to kind of make things? Control what we can control. So appreciate the call. We'd love more calls. Appreciate you. 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. And Aubrey, as I was saying before, the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade was yesterday. Actually, on my anniversary. Never knew that.
2: Happy anniversary to both.
1: (laughs) Nope. Not (laughs) happy anniversary at all. No, no, no. Not happy. Uh, But... Uh, that brought up a lot yesterday. It was also Sanctity of Life Sunday uh, in the churches around us and kind of trying to say, okay, let's use the, the Roe versus Wade anniversary as an opportunity to also talk about uh, abortion and pro-life yeah. and other things. So with the overturning of Roe versus Wade this year, uh, it got a lot of feedback, a lot of stuff yesterday, right? And so let me just read some of the feedback and then I think you and I rightly need to just weigh in on where are we at right now as a as a society, where are we at as a right, culture? Let's
2: hear because I missed some of the things that were posted yesterday. I told you this. And so I, I want to hear, like, what was some of the conversation happening online on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade? Yep.
1: So our president, President Biden, said today should have been the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Instead, MAGA Republican officials are waging war on women's rights to make their own health care decisions. But this fight isn't over Uh, And then he talks about his own administration and all of the stuff they're doing. But I think the headline there is for him to say MAGA Republican officials are the ones raging war on women's right to their own health care decisions. Vice President uh, Kamala Harris, in a speech, she said this, a promise we made in the Declaration of Independence that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Do you, met, do you realize what – do you recognize what she left out of that?
2: And the –
1: It is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But she just conveniently kept out life
2: because of what that
1: connotates apparently at the moment. Uh, Tony Dungy, Interesting. who got in a little bit of trouble, rightfully so, for a tweet earlier in the week about something else – but then he was borderline get, about to get canceled, if you will. He's just a football commentator, former coach, but also an outspoken Christian. Yep. He spoke at the National Right to Life uh, event, and people lost their minds saying NBC should suspend him, all sorts of stuff. So mm. that, those are the ones that I saw yesterday, wow. right? Uh, the president, President Biden, and here's how much stuff has shifted, Aub- Aubrey, to that President Biden, when he was a senator, he voted— literally for a law that would have done what the Supreme Court did, yeah, putting I it feel back like with I the I remember states.
2: you telling me that. Yeah. So where are we at
1: right now as a I wanna say where are we at as a society, as a culture, and then I wanna hone in on where should the church be right now? What what do we believe the church should be doing in the midst of this right now?
2: You know, this is a difficult question to ask because you can't I don't think you can take a couple tweets and you're not doing this, but mm-hmm. generally I don't think people can take a couple tweets and say this is where the country is This is certainly a select portion of the country. This is certainly like a loud voice in the country being that it's the president of the United States of America. Like, don't get me wrong, an incredibly influential voice. And, you know, one of the things, this is what's always been hard for me with, I'm pro-life, but what's been hard for me with pro-life is I do, I mean, women's rights have been stripped. Their agency has been stripped historically, globally, forever since the dawn of time. And so I want women have total and complete agency over their bodies. At the same time, I still think that happens in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the fact that we as Christians—actually, I think we as humans should be called to care for the most vulnerable, and I would put unborn children in that category of the most vulnerable. Now, people would disagree with me, but that's where I stand. Mm -hmm. I believe that life happens at conception and that God— has a plan and a purpose for every child that's born and has created that life on purpose. And so I, I can understand in one sense, sort of the position of like women should have their rights to do what they want to do. Yes. Unless it harms other people. And Mm -hmm. that's where I just can't, I can't go so far as to get behind, um, you know, anti pro-life or pro-choice. And I, I think that, The difficulty, too, is, you know, I never want to talk about this topic outside of women who have had abortion and have abortion regrets. Because I never want those women to feel ashamed. I never want those women to live with the guilt and the pain. I have sat with, I've told you, I've Mm -hmm. sat with a lot of those women at women's events that I speak at. And it's real pain. It is, like, decades later real pain. And so I always want women to hear, like you are forgiven in Jesus you don't have to live with that shame god has forgiven you like don't don't carry that um but can we move forward mm. as a church remembering to care like if it if we're pro-life, we're pro-life all the way. As That's you right, and I say That's right. from womb to tomb. And this is one of the pro-life issues that we yeah. care about.
1: When we think about where we're at as a culture, I think what we've learned this year is we are pretty polarized increasingly around this, yeah. at least leadership-wise. Like you said, yeah, you can't read too much from a tweet. But it is the tweet for from, sure. It yeah. is the tweet from the president of it's the United accurate, States, accurate. and um, and so I do think the polarization has become. Less pro-life, pro-choice, more pro-abortion, anti-abortion. That's right?
2: true. That feels that way for sure.
1: And I think that the church needs to stand up and say, um, we believe that that is a human life that is at stake here. And that this is no longer, this is not a political issue, yeah. but it's a moral issue. Yeah. And that this doesn't make you a MAGA republic That was so purposeful by President Biden to say that MAGA Republican... Lawmakers have hijacked. That's
2: true, because I am not a MAGA Republican. No, at all. Most of my, provided. most of yeah.
1: the people that I know are not, and yet yeah. they are passionately people who are yeah. running pregnancy crisis pregnancy centers. And this, they they are not what he has made them out to be. But we have to understand yeah, that's, that's, that's the kind caricature of, kind right of now,
2: condescending and characterizing, right? Yeah,
1: and done with a purpose. Yeah. Anyone who believes this is crazy and is this, it's and and it's just demonizing, yeah. right? And yeah. so. I think the church has to try to get back to the moral ground on this, not the political ground, and say, listen, this might make you mad. This might You might disagree, but here's why we believe so strongly about this, because this is, as you said, a life and death issue for the least of these, for the most vulnerable. And the church is going to continue to step in. Before we go, let me say this. Connect. If you're a church, get connected To a crisis pregnancy center in your area, whether it be Caring Network or other ones we've had on the show, Mm -hmm. do something uh, to step in instead of just yelling and tweeting and posting. uh, Support, support, support.
2: We are thrilled today to be joined by someone who we consider a friend of the show. He is an incredible leader, author, spiritual guide. His name is Rabbi Schneider. He has a brand new book out about messianic prophecy revealed in the pages of the hebrew bible and it's called that messianic prophecy revealed we're joined by rabbi kurt schneider rabbi schneider thanks so much for being here with us today
4: aubrey brian it's an honor and a blessing to be with you guys in the big city of chicago today
2: (laughs) (laughs) rabbi schneider i forget where you are located can you remind us
4: well, I was born in Cleveland, but I've lived in Columbus for almost 20 years. Columbus, Ohio, the yeah. heartland of America. Nice. There you
2: go. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so talk to us about this new book. It came out earlier this year, Messianic Prophecy Revealed. Uh, looks fantastic, so tell our listeners all about it.
4: Well, as a Jewish believer in Yeshua, I came to faith in 1978 supernaturally when Jesus came to me in the middle of the night, on a hot August night. And as a Jewish believer, from the very beginning, Messianic prophecy was always something that was important for me as a Jewish believer and for other Jewish believers, so that we could see that believing in Jesus was not that we had converted to another religion, Mm. that it wasn't that we were no longer Jewish, but that Yeshua was actually prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures. You know, he died with a sign above his head that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, And I know, Aubrey, Brian, you both know that Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4, we know what we worship for salvation is from the Jews. So as a Jewish believer, it was important for me to be able to defend my faith amongst the Jewish community that I was raised in, Mm. saying that this is not some new religion. I haven't converted outside of Judaism, Mm. but in fact, Jesus is the Messiah that the Hebrew scriptures spoke of. So I've actually been teaching on this for 20 plus years. But what i've done in this book i think is really important for all god's people at this time because understanding how yeshua is rooted in the hebrew scriptures it gives christians gentile or jew a spiritual backbone yes because you as you both know we're living in a time of tremendous cultural compromise where christians are backing away from fundamental biblical doctrines like that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Mm. I mean this is a this is a fact. I mean if Jesus is not the only way to heaven, then what then all, all we have our good morals. Mm. So seeing how Yeshua is truly the only way to God and seeing that in the light of the fulfillment of who he was prophesied to be in the Hebrew Bibles, it strengthens Christians to know that it's not it's just that Christianity is a good way to live and you know that people that have other pathways, they're blessed too. Now, understanding how the God of Israel is the only God and that Jesus is the one pathway that he's made into his presence, it strengthens believers' backbone so that they can be more confident and secure in their own faith and also more emboldened to be his witnesses. Mm.
1: Uh, Rabbi Schneider has a show called Discovering the Jewish Jesus every weekday at 9 a.m. right here on AM 1160. It's a fabulous show. I would encourage you to get it, and Rabbi Schneider, uh why is understanding this so important for those of us who are followers of Jesus who aren't Jewish like this adds mm-hmm. so much context to our faith uh as well in the brotherhood with our Jewish Christians? uh Why is it important for us to read this book as well?
4: Well, I guess Brian, the answer that that comes to mind first of all is I've met people over the years, Gentile believers, been believers for many, many years, loving i mean passionate believers. But when they discover the Jewish roots of their Christian faith, it's like emotionally, it's like they get born again all over Mm. again. You know, it's not like we can get born again twice. You know, we're born of the Spirit once. But they get so excited to see this new color, this new level of understanding their faith that they never saw before, that's so rooted and it's so entrenched in the New Testament that when they finally see it, when the veils of their eyes come up, I mean, you think about it. The first verse in the New Testament, Matthew one, this is the genealogy of Jesus yeah, Christ, right. the son of David, the son of Abraham. Mm-hmm. You know, so for the first verse in the New Testament, God is showing, listen, this is anchored in the Hebrew Bible. you got to understand this. Mm. But many Christian people have never really been taught. Um, there's also a lot of confusion about messianic prophecy. I've heard, for example, pastors uh, stand up at the pulpit and make comments like, you know, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament, and the chance of him doing this was impossible unless he is who he said he is. So they're kind of turning it into like a mathematical right, formula. Right. But the re- yeah, but the reality is a lot of the ways that the New Testament writers use messianic prophecy were not in ways that could be scientifically mm. measured.
3: Yes. They, they
4: they in 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 Jewish tradition, uh, the scriptures are 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 multi-dimensional. There's many colors and layers and and uh, of understanding. So, for example, uh, in Matthew chapter two, just to try to be as concise as I can, mm-hmm. we know the angel comes to Joseph. He says to Joseph, "Take Jesus into Egypt because Herod is killing." All the male Hebrew infants, because he's heard the Messiah is born, and he's threatened. He doesn't want his kingdom to be abolished because of the Messiah's reign. So Joseph takes Jesus to Egypt. Herod dies. Then the angel comes back to Joseph and says, "Herod's dead. Take the child back to to Israel now." And then then Matthew says in Matthew two that the scripture might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt did I call my son. But there's only one place in the Hebrew Bible where that scripture is. Out of Egypt that I call my son, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Wow. So when you go to Hosea eleven one and read it, you, you would expect to find some type of prediction. Yes. You know, because that's what we think of when we think of prophecy, like a right. prediction that Jesus fulfilled. But in reality, all that was happening there is that Hosea was recounting Israel's past, mm. that the Lord redeemed them out of Egypt during the time of the Exodus. So how does Matthew now say that Jesus fulfilled it? when Joseph brought him back into Israel. Mm. And so you have to understand that the way the New Testament writers use Hebrew Scriptures, saying that Jesus fulfilled them, was not always that he fulfilled a predictive prophecy, but rather that he filled Israel's history up with meaning by repeating Israel's history in his own life.
1: Oh, that's fascinating. Rabbi Schneider, uh, Mm. there might be no way to quantify this, but help our people out there uh, understand... In our country, how many um, you know Jewish Christians are there? Is this a growing movement? What are you seeing that would help us all kind of understand what's going on out there?
4: Wow, that's a really good question and and frankly, to me the numbers are pretty hard to um, to, to to sink our teeth into. One mm-hmm. thing I can tell you with uh, 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 absolute confidence in Israel, messianic Judaism, the Jewish people coming to faith in Israel. Is exploding. Mm. Now, when I say exploding, that doesn't mean like it's overtaking the country, but I'm saying it is a growing, powerful movement in Israel for sure.
3: Wow.
4: There's a website that I, I, there's a YouTube channel that I love. It's called So Be It. A guy named Jeff Morgan, he's in Israel interviewing all these Jewish people that have come to faith. It is a phenomenon in Israel. In the United States, the messianic movement per se, which is a long discussion, which we probably don't have yeah. time for yeah. in this conversation. But the Messianic movement uh, in you know where, where there's Messianic synagogues, et cetera, that movement is struggling. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean that Jewish people aren't coming to faith, mm-hmm. but it means that a lot of the Jewish people that are coming to faith are not going to what has been known as Messianic synagogues, but are just being absorbed into traditional churches.
2: Interesting. So that's
4: why it's hard to say how what what the trajectory yeah. is right now in the U.S um one thing i would say is that the the walls are weakening like hmm. you know 50 years ago it was like almost unheard of for a jew to marry a gentile yeah today almost 50 percent of jews are marrying Gentiles. <gasps> no so way. that alone is is breaking down walls so i would say that we just need to keep on bringing uh, preaching jesus that's right and the floodgates are opening
2: oh i love this and i love that you are who you are doing what you're doing rabbi schneider such a gift to the church You can find out more about Rabbi Schneider and his work at DiscoveringTheJewishJesus.com. Be sure to check out this brand new book, Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. And you can listen to Discovering the Jewish Jesus right here on AM 1160 weekdays at 9 a.m. We've been joined by Rabbi Kurt Schneider. Thanks again for being with us. We are so blessed to have you.
4: God bless you, my friends. Great to be with you once again. And again, I look, Lord willing, hopefully to meeting you in person soon. Absolutely.
2: All right, Brian. Well, it's the end of the show. And at the end of the show, we like to get people thinking spiritually or encourage them somehow. And um, are you a big uh, NASA Man. That's a
1: that's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. I'm not anti NASA. Are I you don't,
2: pro astronaut? I, do, I
1: don't think that I spend a lot of time thinking about it. But I tell you what, though, if if they're right and we're heading back to the moon soon, that'll be
2: cool. Like are, just oh, to, are to, we to, headed back to the moon these days? I do not don't, know that. You don't ever? I read know nothing. Anything, do you? I read nothing. Never. All the time. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh,
1: that's the hope, and so. That would be cool if and when we land on the moon again. Like, I think that'd be really exciting. But... Or
2: for the first time, if it was a if it was a <laughs> hoax. We <laughs> don't know. Well, okay, let me teach you something about an astronaut. A okay. NASA astronaut who formerly held the American record for cumulative days in space says he believes science and the Bible are in harmony, not conflict. Okay, listen to this. We're going to find out what this problem is and then talk about his answer to it. But astronaut Jeffrey Williams took part in four space missions from 2000 to 2016. And he spoke recently at the new exhibit at the Museum of the Bible, which is called Scripture and Science, Our Universe, Ourselves, Our Place. He said this. He gets the question all the time. How can be he be in the business he's in and be a believer He said this, there is a public perception that science and the Bible are in conflict, but in his career, even back in the 90s, he spent a lot of time studying science and the Bible. Mm. Basically, he says this, that modern science as we know it really came out of the conviction that the Bible was true and that God is the creator and has revealed himself in the scripture. And in that creation, he provisioned it. And ordered it. William said he has been impacted by the order of math, physics, chemistry, and Interesting. music. You do hear a lot of apologists use order uh, or created order as part of their um, evidence for faith, essentially. Right. He says that um, a lot of theologians were first driven by their faith as they did their work of science. So, okay, wh- tell me your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Science and the Bible. I guess here's where I struggle yeah, a little ahead. bit. The Bible is not a science book. And so sometimes I get frustrated on the flip side when people try to use the Bible to, like, make science. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, I don't think the Bible and science need to be in conflict at all. And that happens a lot that you hear a lot of Christians that are, quote-unquote, anti-science. And I don't think that's accurate either.
1: So uh, I think the best... Kind of foundational or umbrella statement to make here is if we believe that all truth is God's truth, Mm -hmm. then we shouldn't be scared by advances in science, advances in philosophy, advances in whatever else, mathematics, uh, if we believe that all truth is God's truth. I'm like you. I don't understand people who almost have this fear that if like science moves too fast and too far we're going to like lose god or yeah, like that it's going to all, all of a sudden run up against it
2: as with if god that... is not strong enough to withstand or that there's even a contest that's what's weird with yeah.
1: that said aubrey i would also say to your point before the bible is not a science textbook yeah we turn it into that and we get ourselves in some trouble this is where things happen let me tell you and and i'm about to get some people maybe a little riled up here I think creation is a great example of that.
3: Mm-hmm. People open up yes. their Bible
1: and say, well, this is the exact details yes. of creation. I'm of the belief, and I've said this from our pulpit before and gotten some pushback before from some people. Uh It is important that God created. It is not uh, foundational how God created. Yep. And that's. That rubs people the wrong way. And so when science starts saying things like the earth is this many years old or, uh, you know, starts saying about theistic evolution or whatever else it might be, I may not buy it. But it doesn't rock my faith because no, 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 no. It has to be a literal six days and it has to be this way. Well, that's not the way the Bible works. Just go read people like John Walton and others where you're going to go, okay, there's God-loving theologians who see this differently. To be honest with Bible you, Bible the
2: believing theologians see this differently because they understand forgotten that I've gotten
1: more of the Bible than I've ever known. Yeah, and yeah. To be honest with you, the first time I ever learned about evolution was not in my public high school, it was my first semester of Wheaton College. Yeah. But the person did it from the perspective of this doesn't take God out of the equation. Yeah. And so th- I think when we try to have too many things sewn up from just the words of the Bible when it comes to creation or whatever else, then science can become can threaten that, mm. but there's nothing in science that says to me that that is ever going to come to the point of going. Oh wait, God didn't create the world,
2: right? Oh, right. hold on,
1: and anything that goes against God as creator, I reject. Sure, I say no, no, I know that's wrong. Our uh, uh, one of our producers told us a fun fact that the Big Bang theory was actually proposed by a Catholic priest and a theoretical physicist. I love that. Uh, so it's just kind of weird. I think when 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 people push back against science when christians push, push back against this they don't trust that god can stand up to mm. these new discoveries sort mm. right? of all it is is telling us more about the um, the unfathomable nature of the the majesty of the creator that we worship
2: and i i also think at, uh, at um kind of on the flip side of that are we have not been schooled well in how to read the different genres of scripture in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is when we read something that is meant to be, um, meant to be poetry or maybe has like a creation narrative that are similar to other creation narratives around the world historically um, and we put on that our sort of contemporary view of science. We're actually not reading the Bible accurately. Right. And again, I know that can ruffle people the wrong way as well, but the point that Brian and I are making is both the Bible and God as creator can stand firmly alongside evidences in science and that doesn't need to shake us or make us afraid instead like this astronaut we can say god is the creator and look he's seen creation at its most marvelous outside of our planet earth looking back on it and so if somebody can say hey god is real in the middle of that, then I think that's a pretty cool testimony. I just
1: love that line of all truth being God's truth. Yeah. Like if that's reminder. the foundation or the lens through which we see everything, then I want to learn more that science has to tell us because it's going to teach me more about God. Yeah. And I, I want to learn more about all these different genres. It's the it's what's behind a liberal arts education. and And I see it as ways of just kind of getting another glimpse of God. Yeah. As opposed to being scared by what's right, going to happen to God. Right. Can God stand up to? Of course, God's the source of these yeah, things. Yeah,
2: that's a good word for all of us. Well, we will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian From I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.